And as our kids are being dismissed this morning, I want to say a special welcome to you. Good morning. Uh, my name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here at Ignite. So glad that you guys could be with us uh, this morning. Uh, before we jump in today, I just want to draw your attention to something that we do regularly at Ignite. Um, uh, we, if you're our first-time guest with us today, we just want to say thank you for being here. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. We hope and our prayer is that you would encounter God uh, this morning and be invited and encouraged to go out and impact the world. If you are a second-time guest, if you came back a second time, we are grateful for that. We're really excited about that. Uh, thank you so much for coming back. Um, and every second-time guest, if you, if, if you indicate that on your connection card, second-time guest, because that's available on your connection card, if you indicate that, we will donate $10 in your honor um, to a charity. We've been doing this for years that for second-time guests, we say we, we're serious about impacting the world. And so just by coming back a second time, you're making a difference. And uh, this quarter, um, our, our uh, charity of choice, what we're giving to is the Perry Center. Um, so every second-time guest in this quarter of the year, uh, your, your money will go towards the Perry Center. And the Perry Center is a place in town uh, that ministers to uh, young and unwed mothers. Gives them a place to live and cares for them spiritually, emotionally, physically, and mentally. Um, and so they're doing a great ministry in town. So if you know anybody um, who is in that area or, or in that spot of life, uh, the Perry Center is a great resource and we're happy uh, to be supporting them. And as you come back a second time, you're helping them uh, continue to do their ministry, which is vital in our community. So thank you. We are going to continue in our sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is an eyewitness to Jesus. He writes the account of Jesus' life under the guidance and inspired by the Holy Spirit. And uh, we are um, towards the end of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's chapters 5 through 7 in the book of Matthew. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, so about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. It reflects on the life of Jesus. And we and we've seen how the Sermon on the Mount um, is really addressing our hearts and shaping our lives. The words of Jesus, he really starts to address our hearts and how we live and our, not only what we do, but our motivations by which we do things. He's pressing on our motives. He's pressing on our attitudes. And he's, he's challenging that and really getting to the heart of things as well as shaping our lives, leading us into the future. And today we're going to be talking about um, trajectory. We're going to be talking about uh, the path on which if, you, if your life continues in this way, this is where you're going to end up, right? Um, and so um, I want to start with, uh, it, it starts with where you're at and then where you're pointed and where you're headed. Um, I, I have, uh, I was thinking about like how to describe this and I, and I remembered the first mission trip I ever led. Okay, so I was an associate pastor. Um, I was 24 years old. Um, the two adults on this trip was me at 24 and my wife at 23. Um, we took our four-month-old son at the time, he was four months old, and we took 10 teenagers to inner city Denver, okay? Um, why they allowed us to do this I, is beyond me, but, but we, we did. We took a mission trip to inner city Denver. I'm at 24. I am the leader of this trip, right? My brain isn't fully developed yet, and I'm leading a, a, a mission trip. And, uh, and so we go down there, and I got to tell you, God did some amazing things. 
We saw people come to Jesus. Um, we saw, I actually saw someone, I was witnessed uh, a healing, like a physical healing happened. I saw it happen. It was incredible. Um, people were interested in giving their lives to Christ, knowing more about Jesus. God did some amazing things on this trip. And there were also things that went horribly wrong. Okay? So I'm driving a 15-passenger van hauling a trailer. First time I've ever hauling a trailer. I said, why not go to the mountains and learn? So... Um, uh, on the way, we find out that our trailer, the little bubble on the top of the trailer is broken and we're going through torrential rain, so everything gets soaked. Everything gets soaked. All of our luggage, all of the things that we're bringing down and stuff, everything gets soaked. Um, uh, somebody broke into our van while we were down there, stole a bunch of stuff, stole pretty much everything I had that wasn't, it was like my, like my Bible, uh, my uh, CDs at the time, because was, it was a while ago. Um, and my cell phone, they stole my cell phone. And when you're the leader of the trip and your cell phone gets stolen, um, that's not a good idea, um, right? Um, so somebody broke into our van, stole a whole bunch of stuff um, uh, with that and a leaky trailer. And then we were supposed to do a vacation Bible school. We had everything planned out, but what we didn't plan was inner city Denver school schedule. So we had vacation Bible school. We announce it to the community. We show up and we have it and nobody's coming because everybody's in school. The school schedule had already started for the year. We didn't know that. Um, and so we had a VBS with no kids. It was uh, really interesting. And so we had, we had to improvise and do some other things. But we had this crazy mix of trips, right? And then we're heading, and, and it's time to go home. We've been on the road uh, and out of our home for uh, 12 days, and we want to get home. And so we, we hop on the road, and we're heading back to northern Minnesota. And uh, I hopped on um, the correct road, okay? I was on the right road, but I hopped on in the wrong spot, Okay, so what happened was you, you get on this one highway heading east, and then it split north and south, and I hopped on it after it already had split. I didn't know that. We didn't have Google Maps at the time. We, honestly, we were living like just animals back in those days. And when I say trailers, really my covered wagon. Like, it was just primitive, primitive stuff. And so we hop on, we hop on the interstate, and I don't know I'm on the wrong road. Right? I hop on and I head and, and I find out I'm on the wrong road when I see a sign that says, Welcome to Kansas. Okay? Now, here's the thing I love Kansas. Kansas is beautiful. I actually love Kansas. I love everything about Kansas. I love the band Kansas. Like, I love so much Kansas. I did not want to be in Kansas in that moment. I wanted to be in Nebraska, which is a state above them. But what happened was, is I got on in the wrong spot, and my trajectory took me to the wrong place. Now, I was sincere in my driving, okay? I was driving well. I really wanted to get us home. I believed I was on the right road, but the reality was, is that I was on the wrong trajectory. No matter how sincere my motives have been, we ended up in the wrong spot. And the only way that I could have um, moved, the only way I could get back home is if I had admitted that what I did was wrong and I changed direction, okay? I had to make a course correction. That's the only way that we were gonna get home. I wasn't just gonna believe somehow that we were gonna get there as we go through Kansas, right? I had to make a course correction. And some of us in this room today, we're going to have to make course corrections as we read what Jesus says. And some of us are going to be able to like look and go, okay, we're walking along the right way. I'm excited about that. So we're going to be talking about trajectory today. And the trajectory of our lives is determined by our understanding of reality, 
our application of wisdom and our connection to Jesus. That's, that one, that's what marks our trajectory. It's determined by our understanding of reality, our application of wisdom, and our connection to Jesus. And you may you go, I'm not connected to Jesus. Well, that's going to affect your trajectory, okay? So however you're uh, related to Jesus and your connection to him, whether loosely or tightly or not at all, that's going to affect where your life ends up. Okay, so we're going to be um, in uh, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13, and that's where we begin today. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. These are Jesus' words. Okay, these, are, these are the words of Jesus. Now, Jesus is God in the flesh, like, like God. He is the fullness of God dwelling within man. Okay, so he is God on earth. And the reason I say that is because if it's God speaking, which it is, then I believe him. I believe what Jesus says is true. I don't believe that Jesus ever misspoke I don't believe that Jesus ever made a mistake. I don't believe that Jesus ever sinned. He was perfect. And so there wasn't any, there wasn't any doubt what he was saying here. And I believe that this is true. This is reality. This is true for every one of us. No matter how sincere we might be in another way, this is true. This is reality. And the better and the quicker that we understand our reality, the better our trajectory. Okay, so we have to understand that what Jesus says is true. And this is true for eternity's sake. And also, there's illustrations of this happening all the time in our world, right? Like, this is true for real life. That, 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 we, that we as humanity will drift away from life. We will drift away from what is good for us. Right? We think about exercise, we think about school, we think about work. Right? We have this whole joke around New Year's resolutions. Why do we have a joke around New Year's resolutions? Because we know that we're going to make promises and then drift away. Right? That's, that's, why, that's why they're jokes, right? To go, yeah, but nobody ever fulfills these resolutions. But this is also true for our spiritual life and our eternity, that as human beings, we will drift away from what is good from us. We will drift away from God. You actually don't even need to try to drift away from God. There's no effort needed. Just stop trying and you'll drift further away. You'll drift further away. Why? Because our hearts and our minds are bent away from God, not towards God. It's called having a sin nature that we all have. We inherited it from Adam and Eve, and, and so we have, this, we have this propensity as humanity to drift away from God, not towards God. Nobody stumbles into godliness, right? You're like, I don't know, I just sat around all day and ate frosting and uh, woke up the next day and I was physically fit, and I woke up the next day and I was uh, just totally uh, wanted to be a lover of God. Like, that doesn't happen, Right? It doesn't happen, and so what, what happens is we drift away from God, and he says, the road is easy to destruction. The road's easy. It's wide. The gate's wide. Why? Because a lot of people are going there. Why? Because when we don't, when we don't keep our eyes on Jesus and we, we want to take the easy way out, what's going to happen is we're going to drift into our own destruction. 
and we're going to die apart from God. And then he says something else. He says, but the, the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And few people find it, not because it's hidden, but because our hearts are inclined to go elsewhere. And we don't want to do the hard thing. And so, listen, being a follower of Jesus is hard. Jesus says that, just so you know. Like anybody who told you, give your life to Jesus and everything is going to be easy, is mistaken at best. And he says, the gate is narrow and the way is hard. Why is it so hard to be a follower of Jesus in this world? Because we are constantly going against the current. Okay, And it's like this side-swiping curtain. So you're going to try to keep your eyes on Jesus, and I'm going to follow Jesus, but everything, this rush of water is coming at you, trying to pull you off course. And so often what happens is we're like, well, just a little bit, and just a little bit, and just a little bit, and finally we suddenly realize that we're facing here when we wanted to be facing here. Why? Because the current of culture and the current of our own flesh and the current of life is constantly pressing on us, constantly pressing on you. If you're like in school right now and you're like, oh, you know what, when I become a follower of Jesus or when I become a follower of Jesus, once I get out of high school, then things are going to be easier. Or maybe you're, you're struggling with purity and you're like, you know what, once I get married, then, it, then all that stuff's going to go away. It doesn't. Uh, maybe if I just have kids, then it'll be easier. If anybody told you it was easy to have kids, we need to talk, right? So it's a wonderful joy, but it is complex and nuanced in a way that makes things very, very challenging. And so our life on this earth is going to be filled with difficulty and challenge if we want to continue to follow Jesus. Just know that. Just know that. That's why the Holy Spirit needs to give us power. When, when Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit, he gives us power to be able to be obedient. Why? Because we need the strength that is not of our own, that, that is constantly keeping us forward even when the current of life is trying to take us out at the knees. And kind of get us back onto the easy road. And so, so we need the Holy Spirit to give us strength. And that's what, that's what he promises us with his Holy Spirit. That he would give us the power to do what is right. And to keep our eyes on Jesus. And he gave us the word of God. He gave us instructions. He gave us uh, warnings. He gave us encouragements. He gave us these things and shows us how much he loves us and, and the way that we can move forward. He gave us his word. And he gave us each other. That it's important to be the followers of Jesus, that we gather together to worship, that we gather together to discuss, that we gather together to pray. That's why we talk about life groups. That's why we talk about foundations classes. That's why we talk about, that's why we talk about gathering together in worship services. It's really important for us to do this. Why? Because the current is constantly, relentlessly pushing against your soul, trying to get you to do something else. That's why we're to meet together regularly. That's why we're to spend time in his word and that's why he gives us his Holy Spirit. He doesn't leave us alone, but he also recognizes that the way is difficult. And at Ignite, as a pastor, I wish that all of us would understand that the way is difficult and the gate is narrow and that all of us in this room and anybody who ever comes to Ignite would find that way and walk that way. 
But the heartbreaking reality is, is I know that some of us in this room today would rather have a life of ease now that will end up leading to our own destruction because it's easy. And we just don't want to fight anymore. And we just don't want to put the effort in anymore. He says, few people are going to, going to get there. Out of the vast majority of the world, how many people are going to find Jesus? That's reality. That's reality. So that's our starting point. But to move forward, we're going to need wisdom, and we need the application of wisdom. We need to put wisdom into our lives, which is what Jesus addresses next in verse 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. If we're going to have any guides in our life, if we're going to have anybody speak into our life, then we need to make sure that the people speaking into our lives, the people that are leading us and coaching us and guiding us, the people that mentor us and disciple us, we have to understand that we've got to make sure that who we invest and open our lives up to is someone who can be trustworthy. It's it's exercising wisdom. And Jesus uses two illustrations in this, uh, one sheep and wolves and the other one tree and fruit, right? So there's two different illustrations going on talking about the same thing. And he says, uh, the first thing is we're going to contrast the sheep and the wolves. Now, through the Bible, um, God often talks about his people as being his sheep, okay? Often throughout the Bible, it says, you are my sheep, and he and God is the shepherd. So that's the, that's the illustration that we see in a shepherd is there to protect the sheep. He's there to feed the sheep. He's there to lead the sheep and guide the sheep and correct the sheep and remove disease and heal and all those kind of things. So that's the job of the shepherd, And he says, listen, there are people in this world who are prophets, legitimate people who are speaking the the word of God and pointing people to God. That was the prophet's role, was to point people to God, saying, if you don't repent and turn around, your your destruction is this, or I can see what you're doing, it's wrong, turn back to Jesus. That's That's the role of the prophet. Turn people to God, turn people to God, turn people to God. He says, but there's people that will come in that will look the part, but are no prophet at all. They're a false prophet. He says, they look like a sheep like the rest of you, but the reality is they're a a wolf in sheep's clothing. If you've ever heard that phrase before in our culture, a wolf in sheep's clothing, that's where this comes from. The Bible has heavily influenced our culture. And so we say, the, a wolf in sheep's clothing, what does that mean? They look the part, they say the right things, they do the right stuff, and yet... They want to devour and kill. One of the sheep's greatest dangers is predators. And wolves are public enemy number one in the life of a sheep. Why? Because they hunt in packs and they kill and they devour mercilessly. You're nothing more to them than a means to their end. And they will use you and devour you. It says you have to beware that there are false prophets 
wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, another kind of fun fact about this, there was a legitimate true prophet in the Old Testament, a guy named Elijah, and he wore a mantle, which was like a cape or a cloak, and his cloak was made of sheep's clothing. In fact, people knew who he was. People were like, hey, I saw this guy walking with animal skins and around him as a, as a mantle, and they're like, oh, that's, that's Elijah. He's wearing a sheep's skin. That's, that, we know who that is. That was a very unique outfit for the day. And so some, some of the false prophets were putting on a sheepskin to say, hey, look, I'm just like Elijah. I'm just, I'm a legitimate prophet. And so they looked the part, they dressed the part, but they were inwardly ravenous wolves looking to destroy people. And Jesus says, you gotta beware because that happens in the church today. And you're like, so how do I tell, how do I tell counterfeit from genuine? How do I tell true from false? How, how do you know which ones, are, which ones are real and which ones are false? How do you know? And Jesus says, you'll recognize them by their fruit. And then he goes into this tree illustration. It says, listen, you can't get grapes from thorn bushes. You don't go to a thorn bush going, man, I hope it produces grapes someday. I just, I know it will. Or a fig from a thistle. You can't get one. Or, or good fruit from a diseased tree. It will produce bad fruit. And good trees produce good fruit. Now the thing about fruit is this, is that fruit takes time to develop, okay? So we can't, we have to be patient, we have to be on the lookout, we have to apply wisdom to our lives, but also we have to understand that it's gonna take time because none of us are perfect and all of us sin, right? But what's the overall pattern? What's the fruit, if, if a person's life is a boat, what's the wake that they are leaving behind? What's the fruit of their life? And you have this bad fruit and good fruit. Well, what's bad fruit? If you want to know the difference between the good fruit and the bad fruit, um, you can look that up uh, and study even more in Galatians 5. It talks a lot about that in the scriptures. But I'm going to give you kind of a summary. Um, bad fruit is this. You're not a lover of God. You're a lover of yourself. You are your own God. You're doing this for personal gain. That's, that's bad fruit. Um, another thing about bad fruit is malice, harm, gossip, deceit, rage, all these things. If, if, if someone's pattern of their life, if the, if the effects of their life is behind them just bloodied bodies of people who hate each other and hate God, we have to start asking, is this person producing anything good in their life? And he says, good fruit, good fruit are things like love and joy, peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are the fruit that the Spirit of God produces. That's good fruit. So if the wake of their life are people who are learning how to reconcile or they're, point, they're doing their best to point people to Jesus and being lovers of God, if they're a peaceable person, if they're, if they're kind of, listen, all of us are on this spectrum. We're all trying to grow in this. But if you're a follower of Jesus, fruit will start to develop in your life and you'll be further along now than you were a year ago. And if something hasn't changed, we have to ask ourselves, Why? Is there something in our life that's hindering growth? And he says, you'll know, you'll know the true from the false by the fruit that is produced in their life. When you talk to somebody about their sin, what's their response? 
Is it repentance? Is it an acknowledgement that what they did was wrong? Is there a submission to the word of God? Or are they arrogant and proud and try to come after you? Start going, well, if that happens too many times, you start looking at the fruit of their life. Is this the common pattern of their life? And he says, you're going to know what you're going to know what is real by the fruit of someone's life. I have a, I have a tremendous privilege. I get to um, coach um, a lot of church planters, other people who are starting churches. I feel called to that. I get to coach them. Um, I, get to, I, uh, I get to talk to people um, all over the Midwest. Um, I'm doing a lot of coaching for them, which is really just a privilege and a joy for me. Um, and uh, one of the things that I talk about with, with young church planners is they come in because someone, inevitably, there's going to be someone who comes to their church that's really talented but has poor character. And they really want to put this person in a spot of leadership because they're really talented. And I say this, I said, listen, someone's character always comes out. Always. Always, 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 without fail, someone's character will come out. And it's our job to apply wisdom and go, okay, what's the pattern of their life? That's a wise thing to do. Because who we're letting talk into our lives, who we're letting speak into our lives, looking at the pattern of their lives, someone's character always comes out eventually. And that will shape the trajectory of your life understanding where you're at, but also who you're speaking to and who you're opening your life to will also shape your future. Because you can be deceived and led astray. Or you can be encouraged and challenged to holiness and to be pointed back to Jesus. Jesus says, not everybody who comes to me or looks like the part is a genuine person that you should be opening your life to. And you got to be wise and figure out which one is which by looking at the fruit of their life. So we have this understanding of reality. We have this uh, application of wisdom and then connection to Jesus, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Just because someone has notoriety and just because someone has done a lot of really cool, amazing things does not mean that they are a follower of Jesus. I mean, this list is pretty intense. They said, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? That's intense. Did we not do many mighty works in your name? Didn't we do all this stuff in your name? Many will say that. Because he says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to say, Lord, Lord? Because um, that's kind of a weird thing to us. It looks foreign to us um, why that is the case. And the reason why it is, it says, Lord, Lord, is saying, Jesus is my master. 
he's the Lord and the Lord of my life. Like he's my Lord, Lord. Like he's, he is the Lord above all other authorities of my life. Jesus is my Lord. Now, some people will say that because we really believe it. Jesus really is my Lord. And some people will say it because it means I get personal gain. There was a time in our country that you could not do business um, in a community or get elected to any kind of government office or be promoted to any kind of work-related thing or be uh, selected in any kind of schools or promotion if you didn't at least belong to a church. That was, that was part of our culture. Like, you, you, like, what church do you belong to? People are like, I don't go to church. They wouldn't get elected into office. They wouldn't, they wouldn't get, their businesses wouldn't really thrive in a community. You're like, I don't believe in God. I don't go to church. That was the culture of our day. Now, the problem with that was that a lot of people who were not followers of Jesus ended up becoming members of churches in America just so that they could get elected or just so that they could get their businesses to thrive. And so our churches were full of people who did not say, Lord, Lord, that Jesus was not the master of their life. And yet, and yet, they had this church attendance and they looked the part. It says, listen, there's so many that if you're not connected to Jesus, if you're not connected to him, if you don't desire to do the will of the Father, if you don't come under his teaching, if you don't really, if you say that Jesus is your Lord, is he really your Lord? Is he really, are you really following him? They said, because many on that day, he's gonna say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Right? We have this difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing someone. We live in a day and age where it's really easy to know a lot about somebody. If you gave me your name, I could probably find your address, right? I could find, um, I could find a lot of stuff about you on the internet, right? I, I could know all about you. I could know your favorite books. I know where you were yesterday because you checked in, right? I know, I know a lot of different things. I know that you really love your spin class, right? Like I know all these things about you. I also know the products that you're trying to sell, and I know these kinds of things, right? I know, I know all about you. I know your sports teams. I know, I know what your aspirations are. I know where you went on vacation last summer. I can know all about you without ever really knowing you. And so often, it's really easy for us to know a lot about Jesus without actually knowing him. You may study Jesus, but do you talk to Jesus? Have you submitted your life to Jesus? Have you said, Jesus, I want you to lead my life? And do I care about the things that he, say, that he says, and will I submit to those things? Because Jesus has a lot to say about a lot of things. The Bible is chock full of things that God says about all areas of our life. He has stuff to say about money, work, sex and sexuality, families, marriages, Ownership, leisure, motives, attitude, language, jokes. Do you know that the Bible says things about what jokes you can say? What jokes honor God and what is just not helpful? Did you know that? The Bible has stuff to say about everything. And Jesus is the word and the word became flesh. And so the Bible is the word of God. And Jesus is God, the word made flesh. 
And the question is, when we read something difficult in the scriptures that challenges us, and where culture kind of starts to swipe us away, what are we going to do? Because there's a struggle that goes on. And I would say this, if we're going to struggle, let's struggle with application and not struggle with authority. What I mean is this. If you see something in the Bible, I hope and pray that you may go, Jesus is my authority. This is a really difficult saying. I'm having a really hard time with it, but Jesus is God. Okay, that's, you've, you've settled that once and for all. Jesus is the authority. So when he says something difficult, we go, okay. But Jesus is God. Now we can struggle with application, right? How does, this hap- how does this flesh out in my life? What do I say? How do I work? What, what are the things that I can do? Am I, gonna, am I willing to come under the lordship of Jesus? Am I willing to submit my life to Jesus? Because the more we do that, the more it's gonna shape our trajectory. And you're like, the way, that way's hard. That's difficult. And I'm like, it is. Jesus said it would be. But here's the amazing thing. Just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's without joy. I think so often we think hard and drudgery are the same things. That something's difficult and you will, that will lead you to despair. But what often happens is if we do the difficult thing, if we do the right thing for the right reasons, and even though it was hard, we find joy in that, don't we? There's a satisfaction in the soul about doing the right thing for the right reasons and honoring God no matter how hard that was. And go, man, that was so difficult, but I'm so glad I made the right choice. A life lived following Jesus is difficult, but it is also filled with deep, abiding joy and satisfaction and ultimately will lead us to life because the trajectory of our life is determined by understanding of reality, our application of wisdom, and our connection to Jesus. And when we fall, if we're connected to Jesus, he raises us back up, forgives our sin, and keeps us moving on the right path. That is an incredible truth, and that is amazing, and that will end up leading us to one day being face-to-face with Jesus, hearing him say, well done, and sharing in our master's happiness. Let's pray.